18 years ago, if you can remember back that far, and I know some of you may be a little bit younger than that, but you've probably heard your parents or family talk about the world crisis that never really happened. Y2K, remember that? <laughs> you remember? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. Oh, everybody's freaking out because we're not quite sure what's going to happen when the big ball drops and it's 2000 because the computers, remember the deal is that the computers, we're not quite sure if it could handle the date. What's after, what's after 1999? We don't know. We don't know. It's never happened before, you know, because when it, when it went from, you know, 999 to 1000, there weren't many computers around. So this is kind of the first time. It happened, um, and, and so we're all kind of real nervous and people freaking out because they're thinking the whole power grid's going to go down and, you know, bombs are going to start firing, you know, and people are stockpiling food and all the essentials, digging bomb shelters, selling stuff. It's amazing. I saw a guy where I was living at the time buy a bus and bury it so that he could live in this school bus underground. And just, oh, it's just amazing. Now, now to be fair, my wife, um, Donna, was halfway through her pregnancy with our second daughter. And how many of you know when you're pregnant or someone you love is pregnant, you worry about stuff? Right? Of course, right? And so we were getting a little bit nervous, you know. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? So we had some stuff just in case, you know. And my sense of humor, I got to be honest, I was looking around thinking, you know, here's five, four, three, two, one. We're good. I thought about going outside and just hitting the breaker. <laughs> See, it's funny now, right? We're real thinking funny now, but I don't think that would have helped my marriage too much back then. See, we, we don't know what's going to happen next, do we? We've been talking about all these issues. We have no idea what the next issue is going to be, or if it's just going to be another layer of our current issues, or something we don't even know to worry about yet that hasn't even happened yet that we're going to start worrying about. Here's the deal. If you're a human being, it's normal and natural to worry a little bit about the future. Very, very normal and natural if you're a human being. And I know some of you extra Jesus people, you're like, not me, I have faith. Well, we're glad you're here, but you're also not numb and you have feelings. And if you're a human, from time to time, you get a little bit anxious. You get a little bit nervous. I'm not quite so sure what's going to happen next. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like there's like a new level of anxiety in our world, unlike ever before, at least in the last 5, 10, 15 years. And here, and I've just recently kind of picked up on this personally and begin to put some pieces together, and I'm not a very smart man, but I think you would agree if when you think about it like this, I think one of the reasons why we're so anxious is because we have to deal with the weight of the world's issues, the world's problems. See, because of technology, you no longer are just aware of the crime that happened on your street this past weekend. You're aware of the crime that happened on the streets on the other side of the world. 
Not only are you aware of the bad guy in your neighborhood, you're aware of all the bad guys seemingly in all the neighborhoods around the world. And it's used to years ago, you only really knew of a natural disaster when it hit somewhere close to you. Now we're aware of all the hurricanes and all the tornadoes and we hear about all the earthquakes and we see the pictures. And, and terrorism, not just locally in our own country, but it's terrorism in every country and all the time. And it's not just the war that happens here, but it's the war that's over there. And then there's this one and then there's that one. And I'm not so sure if we were ever meant to carry the weight of the world's issues on our shoulders. But that's our reality. So no wonder. No wonder we're a little bit anxious. Because the truth is, we just live in a fallen world. It's messed up. And I, I don't know what the breaking news is going to be next. But we got a lot of issues, don't we? We got a lot of problems. We're facing a lot of big things. A couple of weeks ago, I took about five minutes and I just wrote down a list of things. Because the list of issues keep changing. We've talked about some of them in the past few weeks. But just in five minutes, this is what I came up with. We got politics. It's an issue. Addictions. The opioid addiction alone is, is absolutely terrorizing our world. We have racism, we have hate, we have injustice, terrorism, war, and several kinds of war. There's the threat of nuclear war, there's biological warfare, and now there's cyber war. There's this climate thing, and I'm not making a statement on the climate, I'm just saying people are constantly scaring us about it and arguing over it, and who knows, really? I mean, who knows who to believe? There's the natural disasters, there's tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and mental health. Everybody's talking about mental health. Shootings. Who knows when the next one's coming? Violence. No, like it's, it's interesting, no amount of policies, and, and I'm sure we need new ones. No amount of laws can take away evil. You realize that? You, we will not outsmart evil with laws. Evil is evil. And you got immigration and refugees and what to do with the war and all this, you know, oh my goodness, walls or not. I, I, don't, I don't, it's just, are you kidding me? And I don't even know what the next thing is going to be. I'm not sure if we should know what the next thing is going to be, if that would help or not. Again, like I said, it may be something we even thought about worrying about yet. But here's what I do know, regardless of what the next breaking news will be, we come back to this again that we've been here every week so far. Issues are really about people. Regardless of what the next issue is, or if it's just another layer to our already existing list of issues, you gotta remember they're about people. And today, as we wrap this series up, we're gonna see so importantly that regardless of the issue, we are Christians first. Citizens, second, which means who we are as followers of Jesus. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you would agree. You would agree that those Christians, those followers of Jesus, what they believe about God should dictate how they really live in their personal lives as Americans. We got to remember as followers of Jesus who we represent. 
regardless of what issue we're responding to, and regardless of what side of the issue we find ourselves on, we must respond remembering we represent Jesus. Back in the 1990s, there was this phenomenon that got going in marketing, and from time to time, something Christian flavor will catch and get really hot in, in marketing, and you'll see it everywhere, and it happens from time to time. But in the 90s, there was this whole thing, and, and even if you're not a Christian back then, you probably are familiar with this whole thing. Remember the WWJD thing? You're like, in the 90s, I just bought a shirt. <laughs> That's great. They're still around. Welcome to the future. <laughs> WWJD. And it stood for what would Jesus do? And it started out with bracelets, right? And then it went to bumper stickers and T-shirts. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's a fascinating question. Fascinating question. But, but it's a little short-sighted, though. I had a professor in seminary when I was in seminary in the 90s. And a professor, his name was Tom Howe. My favorite professor in seminary, he uh, taught Greek and Hebrew and had a con an incredible sense of humor, dry humor, sarcastic humor, exactly the kind of humor you need to have if you're a professor of two dead languages, Greek <laughs> and Hebrew. Uh, Eric, our executive pastor here on staff, he and I had those classes together and we met during those years uh, in seminary. And this guy's hilarious. Like, like the very first uh, Greek class we had with him, the very first class I ever had, uh, a guy walked in uh, at the beginning of the class and handed him a, a cup of coffee because it was a night class, an evening class. Here's a cup of coffee, Professor Howe, wanting to get on his good side. He said, thanks. And he walked out of the room with it. And he said, oh, I'm just going to go pour it down the toilet and cut out the middleman. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. He said, that's where it's going. It's where I just save transit time. Uh, one day he started a class, he, he came up to the whiteboard, he grabbed a marker and drew a straight line on the board, put the marker down, didn't say anything about it for about five minutes. And then he said, sometimes you just have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, I think it is anyway. I just... Now we're going to talk about Greek words and Hebrew words and it's like, oh, wow, this is so good. Here's what he said. This whole WWJ thing was real hot. Uh, at that point. And he said, it's not really the best question. What would Jesus do? It's not really the best question. He said, because we're not quite sure what Jesus would do. He may come in and heal somebody. Can you do that? He may walk on water. Can you do that? He may raise a dead man. Because those are the kinds of things he did. And you and I can't do that. He said, so... It's well-intended, but there's a better question. The better version of this question is not what would Jesus do. It really should be what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? That may be similar to the signs of things that Jesus would do, but I can't do what Jesus did. I need to concern myself with what would Jesus have me do. Isn't that a much better question? And this is the question. Because we're Christians first citizens second, and we're followers of Jesus that we've got to wrestle with regardless of what the next breaking news is, regardless of what the next issue is. Our response 
should always, always, always be, what would Jesus have me do? And since you're asking the question, let me go ahead and answer it for all of us. Do you know what Jesus would have me do and you do and us do and we do? The most loving thing, period. Whatever the most loving thing is, that's what Jesus would have you do. That's what Jesus would have us do. That's what Jesus would have us say in response to whatever the issue is. That's what Jesus would have us respond with, regardless of what happens next or what is happening. In the first century, Paul the apostle writes to a group of Christians in Corinth and he writes in his first letter that we know of, and he wrote several to them, and we only have copies of two. But in his first letter that we know of, he wrote what has been come, become known now as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You hear it a lot in weddings. Um, I, I love to teach through this passage because it applies to any area where love needs to be applied. It works. And so for us, thinking about what's the most loving way to respond, what's the most loving thing to do, what's the most loving thing to say to these issues and to people that these issues affect in our world, whatever the next thing is, then reading through 1 Corinthians 13 helps us understand what that looks like. So let's take a few minutes and do that. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and even of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We all have somebody in our life that sounds like a noisy gong, right? Do not look to the person next to you. It's just, it's not nice. No one wants to sound like that, right? Just like, oh, could you just please stop talking? Paul says, if I could perfectly communicate to everybody as to what's going on in the world, and everybody understood me, and I could speak everybody's language, and there were no communication barriers, but yet I didn't choose to do the most loving thing, what I was telling people would just be like noise, useless, worthless, like, a, oh, just shut up, please stop talking. Because the most loving thing is more important than being able to perfectly communicate to people. He goes on. He said, if... I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains with all that knowledge that I have, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Now he's saying, not only if I could perfectly communicate he said, if I had all the knowledge and I could explain to everybody, this is why this tragedy has happened. This is why this has happened. This is why this shooting occurred. This is what's really going on behind this policy. This is why this war is going on and this war is going to get caused, it's going to cause another war. Here's what's going on with all the threats of nuclear stuff. Here's what's happening with this. This is why this natural disaster occurred. This is why another hurricane, another tornado. He said, if I could... If I knew all God's secret plans, if I knew the mind of God and then, going back to the first part, could perfectly communicate to everybody everything I knew, but yet if I didn't do the most loving thing, I would be nothing. This is huge, guys. What would Jesus have me do? Oh, he comes back to love every single time. He goes on. 
If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, in other words, if I did everything, if I went to the ultimate extreme and just laid my life down for other people, he said, I could brag about it. I could boast about it. And people pat me on the back and go, man, you're amazing. But if I didn't love others, I would have, I would have gained nothing, accomplished nothing. Then he goes on to talk about what love looks like. And I want you to think about it. responding to these issues, regardless of what the issue is. Love is patient. The most loving thing is always kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Even if you don't agree with them, even if you didn't vote for them, even if the policy is going the other way, even if the person you're talking with is living a different way, even if they're arguing, even if you're like, what's going on? It's not boastful, proud or rude. And it does not demand its own way. The most loving thing to do never is focused on, well, what about my rights? What about my voice being heard? What about what I need? What about what I want? No, that's never the most loving way to respond. The most loving way to respond is always about other people, not about you. And it's not irritable. And it keeps no record of when it's been wronged of when it's been treated unjustly, when it's been treated unfairly, when it's been taken advantage of because it's going to happen, the most loving response doesn't let that figure into the equation. Then he goes on. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So for those of you that think love is lightweight, that love is easy and cushy, oh, you're just, you know, they're at that summit. They're just always talking about love, 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 love. I'm just so sick of love. Then you have not got a stinking clue what love is. Love will kick your butt. If it's really love, then it rejoices when the truth wins out and it will pursue truth. In a loving and gracious way, we're going to get to the truth because loving is that way. Then he says, love never gives up. So it's gracious too. It never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance, which would mean every issue, even that one issue that you just get so bent out of shape over, even that issue, even the issue that you assume that God hates the most, even that issue. And then he says this, this is interesting to me. Now we see things imperfectly. Boy, isn't that true? It's like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity, meaning in the future, in heaven, one day it'll all make sense. But right now, it's like we're just getting pieces of the puzzle, and I don't know. I, he said, I don't, I don't know what's going on in the world, and I don't understand, and I see things imperfectly, and I know you want to know, and I want to know, but right now we're not going to know. I want to know why. We're not going to know why. I want to see what's going on. We're not going to see what's going on. And so he brings us back to this when he ends this chapter. Three things will last forever. While you're seeing imperfectly and you're considering what the most loving thing to do is, three things are going to last forever. And all three of them are important, but one is most important, faith. Boy, don't we need faith? Don't we need people of faith? Don't we need to be people of faith and hope? Right? Doesn't the world need hope? Don't, aren't we all looking for something that's hope-filled? And then there's love. And he said the greatest of these three is love, always the most important thing. Here we go. What would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have you do? What would Jesus have us do? 
It's the most loving thing. Regardless of what the issue is, regardless of what tragedy is coming next, regardless of what the next breaking news is going to be. The best place for me and you to be is standing for the needs and the rights and the benefits of others. That's the most loving thing, especially if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. Listen, it is so unattractive and really off-putting when you see a Christian standing for and arguing for and all upset for their own rights and their own needs and their own benefit. There's just something odd about seeing a Christian get all hot and bothered and all upset over their own rights and their own things and their own wants and desires. Because the one in whom we follow, Jesus Christ, did the exact opposite. He never argued for his own rights, never went around seeking his own benefit. He did the exact opposite. And this weekend is Palm Sunday weekend, the weekend before Easter. Jesus, the most powerful man that ever walked the face of the earth, leveraged his power and his influence for the needs and the good of others, specifically giving his life on a cross for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. So you take this man that was more powerful than anyone has ever been, had all power in his hands. He leveraged that power for the needs of others, the good of others, the benefit of others, not his own needs, not his own goods, not his own benefit. He laid his life down for others. That's why it's so off-putting and weird and strange to see Jesus' followers saying, what about me? What about us? What about me? What about us? No, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have you do? It's just do the most loving thing. And that's always meeting the needs of others. Not making a name for our own selves. And we have unending, unending opportunities for this. Oh my goodness. Because inevitably something else is going to happen. There's going to be another disaster or another attack or another shooting or another act of violence or another war or another tragedy. There's going to be the next thing, right? Or a new layer of, of something we already are dealing with. It's coming. And you and I are going to have an opportunity to say something and do something and respond. It never fails. Have you noticed? It never fails. Regardless of what happens in the world, and we're aware of what happens in the world, not just our own backyard now, remember? It never, it never, ha never ceases to amaze me. No matter what happens, within hours of a worldwide knowing about an attack over there or a war over here or an act of violence over here, within hours, not days, but within hours, the media always seems to find a well-known Christian and they put them on the air and they say, what do you say? 
You notice that? Notice, notice. Next time something bad happens, regardless of what news media outlet you're, you're watching or you keep up with and what feed you attune to, it's just, it's only a matter of hours before they find some Christian, whether it's a pastor or a, poli- a politician that's a, an open follower of Jesus, and they'll put them in the spotlight and they'll go, what do you think? How would you respond to what just happened? How would you, how do you, what do you think's going on? What do you think the real story is? You ever thought about why that happens? Isn't that a little weird? Because the media don't give a rip about what Christians think. Right? They don't believe what we believe. Why do they want to know our opinions? Why do they want to know an explanation from people that they most of the time discredit make fun of, push to the side, and try to shut up. Why? See, that's, that's why the world, another reason the world's going to miss Billy Graham. Because he was often, before he got sick, 15 years ago, he was the guy that everybody wanted to hear from. He was so good about always taking it right back to Jesus, time after time and time again. Here's Why? Because deep down, our culture knows that turning to God makes sense. Even though if they don't understand, even if they don't know that's what they're feeling, wanting to hear from God's perspective, even if they don't believe in God, right? They look to God's people for a source of comfort to help make sense of what's going on and we don't understand to maybe provide some peace. Do you have any words of peace for us? They'll ask that question. To look for some kind of healing or a bigger perspective. I've actually heard them ask Christians, can you try to help us understand maybe what the bigger picture here of what what we're experiencing and what we're seeing? How should we process this? It's amazing. Here's why I bring all this up. Because the next thing is gonna happen and I don't know what the next thing is gonna be, And I don't know when it's going to happen. But whatever the next issue or the next tragedy that surfaces, people are going to look to you. And it happens. It happens at home. And they're going to look at you and say, what do you think? You'll be sitting around the table. You know, like you're, you're the person in your family and everybody knows you go to church, right? And it typically doesn't come up all that much until something in the world happens. And you're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving or Christmas What do you think, Bob? Sue, you go to church. Sally, you're one of those Jesus people. What do you think? That's the only time they give a rip what you think. Better yet, it's going to happen at the office. News is going to break in the evening. And the next day at the office, they're going to say, hey, hey, Kevin, what? You're one of the, you're you're a Christian. What, what, is this in the Bible? What do you think God says about this? And all eyes are on you. You ever, you ever had that experience? What are you going to say when they look your way? What would Jesus have you do? Always the most loving response. Always the most loving thing. In fact, 
I think you should make it a prayer. I think we should make it a prayer. When we have those moments and we see those moments coming and something happens in, in culture and we just know, uh-oh, spot, they're going to want to know. People are going to want to know what my response is. People are going to look to me. People are going to ask. And when they do, you need to make this your prayer. Jesus, what would you have me do? Jesus, what would you have me say? Jesus, how would you have me respond? Make it a prayer. The answer is always the most loving thing, but it's not always clear exactly what the most loving thing is, right? Sometimes that's not, sometimes it's very clear and you know, but sometimes it takes a little thought. Should I say something or should I not? And when I do, should I say it this way or that way? That's a tension that you and I are going to have to get comfortable living in and wrestling through. But always, 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 Jesus, what would you have me do? And make sure it's the most loving thing. How should I respond to them, God, like you have responded to me through Jesus? And know that you always need to err on the side of love. If you have a doubt, err on the side of love. If you have a question, err on the side of love. Now remember, love is full of grace and it's full of truth. We just read through what love looked like. And if you need a refresher of what the most loving thing is, then read back through the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. I challenge you to do that regularly on your own. It's about sharing the love of Jesus in his place, which means we're going to be listening more than we're talking, which means we're going to be showing lots of grace and even lots of truth when it's tough to do. It means we're going to be serving and helping, and we're going to be, have to be very patient with people. And it also means we're going to have to decide to be a part of the solution and not just a critic of the problem. The most loving thing for you and I to do, more times than not, is going to call for us to be a part of the solution to the problem and not just a critic of the problem and a critic of the issue. See, Christians, we've been known, churches, we've been known way too long for just being critics of the problem. Well, I'll tell you what I think. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. And, and we do nothing. What would Jesus have you do? What would Jesus have us do? What would Jesus have me do? Let's do the most loving thing, which means we're going to be a solution to the problem and not just a critic of the problem. And here at the summit, we, we have a phrase that we have to describe that. And we talk about sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus, that our mission is to receive and share the love of Jesus. And so we share the love of Jesus that we have received. We love each other as he has loved us. It's what we find so clearly over and over again in the word of God. And sometimes around here, sharing the love of Jesus looks like a week-long serve event, right? Sometimes that's what it looks like for us. Other times, it's a month-long focus that we have as a church. But more times than not, sharing the love of Jesus is about a moment, an opportunity in front of you. And you're not at church, and you're not volunteering. You have an opportunity to love somebody with the love of Jesus. Somebody maybe that have never even been to this church before, and maybe they'll never come. But if they ever do, it'll probably be because of someone like you sharing the love of Jesus with them. And so sharing the love is really about a way of life. It's not a, it's not a week. It's not a month. 
It's not even really just a moment. It's every moment. It's all the moments. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are receiving his love, then sharing his love is just the way you live. And we're going to give you a tool to use to help you with this. As we finish up this We Got Issues series, and we talk about what would Jesus have me do and you do and the most loving thing, we're going to put something in your hands today when you leave. We designed these cards and on the front of it says, you matter, you matter. We want to give this to you so that you can take this home. The instructions are on the back. You can take this with you and be praying, Jesus, what would you have me do? Jesus, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? How would you have me respond? What would you have me do? And that God would help you know who you need to give this to. Maybe write a note inside, put a gift inside, a gift card, something in there to someone so that when you give it to them, they know that you believe they matter. Because here's the deal. They matter, whoever the they is, they matter to God more, more than you can imagine. They matter to God just as much as you matter to God, which means they must matter more to you. Give this to someone who's been offended, who has been on the other side of the issues than you are. Give it to someone who's been hurt. Give it to someone that has experienced injustice, maybe at the hands of your own attitude in the past. Give it to someone that you want to show value and honor to, someone who's been hurt who needs to know they matter. Give it to someone that you wanna start a healing conversation with. Someone that needs to know they matter because that's always the most loving thing. And that's what Jesus would have me do and you do and us do, regardless of what the issue is and regardless of what happens next. So I'm gonna ask you right now to close your eyes to focus in prayer and join me in asking Jesus what he would have me do, you do, us do, and who to share it with. Father, we need your help. We got issues. And we've talked about so many issues and we've talked about things that we're wrestling with and today just being reminded we don't even know what the next issue is going to be and what's going to happen next and what the next struggle is going to be but regardless we have an opportunity to show love to people we have an opportunity every time something bad goes down in our culture people look to the christians and they want to know and that's an awesome awesome reality Father, may we just choose to do the most loving thing and know that's what you would have me do and us do, starting at home and our own neighborhoods and our own community. And may that be what the church is known for, is doing the most loving thing, following your example. Help us to take these You Matter cards and know who to give them to and how to help them know they matter to us and to you. In Jesus' name, amen.